This is the Meiji 150 podcast. I'm Tristan Gruno. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Ryosuke Maeda, Associate Professor of Japanese Political and Diplomatic History at Hokkaido University, as well as Visiting Fellow in the Department of East Asian Studies at Princeton University. Dr. Maeda is the author of Zenkoku Seiji no Shido, Teikoku Gikai Kaisetsu go no Meiji Kokka, or The Beginnings of National Politics in Modern Japan, the Meiji State Reform Under the Parliamentary System, published by the University of Tokyo Press in 2016. Dr. Maeda, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really impressed by your podcast project. <laughs> it's so helpful for a scholar like me to know what kind of argument emerged in Japan studies in the speaking world. <laughs> well, thank you very much. But I wanted to talk with you, particularly because you recently published this book, Zenkoku Seiji no Shido, and congratulations for winning the Suntory Prize for Social Sciences and Humanities in 2017. Mm-hmm. But in this book, you ask a question that seems very simple on the surface, but is actually very complicated. And that's this question of, when did Japan achieve Zenkoku Seiji? Mm-hmm. We might translate this as nationalized politics. So in other words, when can we say Japan was completely politically integrated? And as you argue in the book, it's not until after the opening of the Diet in 1890 that this is possible. So can you describe what you mean by Zenkoku Seiji Kukan, or nationalization of political space? As you say, presenting the familiar concept of national politics, Zenkokuseiji, I tried to challenge the conventional understanding about when the nationwide political space was born in modern Japan. With this concept, Zenkokuseiji, I like to capture the formation of nation-state in Japan from the point of view of central local or center periphery relations in the late 19th century. In the case of Japan state building, Issues of region, ethnicity, and class did not form the main social cleavage or political conflict as seen in Europe. And of course, it doesn't mean that these three problems did not exist in modernization process. In my view, it is local society that was one of the greatest challenges for nation-state building in Japan. In other words, the most urgent political requirement for the formation of the nation-state in Japan was the defeudalization of local society which strongly reflected the legacy of Tokugawa feudal society even after the Meiji Restoration. In the process of modernization called Meiji Restoration, various ideas of political space or polity were proposed for transforming the Japanese archipelago. In the first place, there were more than 300 domains in the Tokugawa period. In fact, at the end of the Edo period, Fukuzawa Yukichi, who actually supported the modernization led by the Tokugawa shogunate, envisioned the federal system as a model, and even after the abandonment of the federal system by Haihan Chiken in 1871, Japan did not go straight toward the unitary state. These social legacy are not going away immediately, and the image of federal order still defines the thought of many major contemporaries. It is also important to consider this point that in 1878, local assemblies of each prefecture were established and accepted in local society under the leadership of local governors, Chihokan, which was prior to the National Assembly. In fact, there was a potential possibility of federalist movement by Ueki Emory, who was a leading intellectual in the Freedom and People's Rights Movement, Jiu-Minken Undo. This is why that the centrifugal pressure that resists major government centralization from the subnational perspective, as seen in authoritarian local governance, or 
Federalist Democrat like Ueki persist throughout the most part of the late 19th century. Therefore, the Imperial Diet established in 1890 was epoch-making as a forum for discussing national or nationwide issues rather than local ones and for providing uniform answer nationwide. In other words, while we can see in 1878, there were about 40 subnational political space throughout the country, which were later maintained by the com compromise between the governors and assembly members. The opening of the national diet expanded Japanese political space to the national level. During the first decade of national politics, of course, there were battles for political order between the unitary or central parallel idea and the federal or centrifugal idea that had existed up to that time. Finally, however, the latter disappeared by the turning point of the 20th century, and the formation of a national state was completed by the emergence of national ruling party like Seiyukai instead of local governors who had built a subnational cooperative system with local assembly or parties before the opening of the Diet. It was in parallel with the end of defeudalization, both in name and reality. My basic concern is how political space has been merged, created, and transformed in modern Japan. By highlighting the existence of such a multi-level political unit originating from the Tokugawa period and the conflict and tension between them, I thought I could draw a much more nuanced history on the modernization. That is what I mean in the phrase of the political integration of the Chinese archipelago or nationalization of political space. So, Although you kindly mentioned the achievement of political control over the entire archipelago, I don't think this is necessarily related to the emergence of the national politics. In my argument, local regions are not only the object of integration into national politics, but also the subject of political participation and the composition of it. Yet, my argument may also sound right overestimation of the social integration of the national diet at that time. It was strictly limited direction. And not only women, but also many men, except people by repute in local society, were excluded from direct political participation. However, indirect involvement politics through election campaign and the media was very common even, even in 1890s. And as Andrew Gordon notes, I think it is also important that the birth of the diet inspired the participation of new outsiders, such as workers, underprivileged farmers, and women. Besides these, exception of national politics in the Japanese territory are Okinawa and Hokkaido, which were initially denied the right to vote in national and local politics, but later achieved and were integrated to national politics in the early 20th century and before First World War. Perhaps national politics does not the most useful concept, especially in analyzing a unitary state like modern Japan, not like United States, Germany, Switzerland, or India. But by using this concept, I want to put the historical experience of Japanese modernization in more general and global context of the contemporary long 19th century, when the formation of the nation and the movement of people of the world coincided. To do so, Japanese modernization can be comparable to the case of Germany and Italy after national unification, or the United States in the Reconstruction era. That's a really good point about the difference between political control over the entire archipelago and national political engagement. And so many of the narratives we have 
of geopolitical consolidation in the early Meiji state often focus on the Han Sikihokan or Hai Han Shiken programs. This would be uh, returning of feudal registers and the abolishment of domains and establishment of prefectures. And all this happened from 1869 to 1871. But you argue that this nationalization of political space was not actually achieved until 1890. So <laughs> would you argue that these earlier efforts of political consolidation were incomplete or, or maybe even failed? Yeah, yeah, it is a very natural question for you and the listeners to think that my argument would include the implication Taihan Chicken or Hanseki Hokan were incomplete or failed. The answer to this question is the heart of my argument that 1890 was the first year of political consolidation. Of course, the impact of Haihan Chicken is crucial for the formation of a modern state. However, I think the significance of Haihan Chicken was in the power struggle at the political level in the short term. Based on their direct military power, the new central government eliminated the model of the federal system envisioned by the former feudal lord daimyo and would promote centralization. It is well known that this gamble was realized so smoothly because not a few domains were actually in poverty. However, while the political influence of the former daimyos, the new ruler of Han after the administration was decisively diminished by this, the social influence of the four domains was not lost at all, actually. The institutional legacy of Tokugawa era, which was collectively referred to as traditional local custom, Kyukan, persisted at the prefectural level and more at the below. And so, the designer of modern local institution in the government had to work through trial and error until the end of the 1880s to overcome this heritage. Also, the new prefecture unit called Fuken, which were much bigger than domain in many cases, but different from today's 43 prefecture system. And it was often consolidated and the boundary continued to change. It will be after 1878 that the prefecture became a real political space under the relationship between local governors and local assemblies. More important, there was a time lag of several decades between the declaration of abolition of feudal domain in 1871 by Han and the achievement of it in reality. On this dynamism of institutional change in early major local society, social or institutional historian Matsuzawa Yusaku has conducted epoch-making research. In that respect, I think it is necessary to understand Haihan Chicken in two ways, short-term significance and long-term significance. The latter, that is social penetration of Haihan Chicken as a new institution for each actors, progressed slowly and incrementally throughout the late 19th century. Moreover, this time lag between the goal of defeudalization and the reality of local society creates two different intellectual imagination of how to design the political space in the modern Japanese archipelago. It was that dispute over the future of upcoming New Japan, which is based on the confusion twin concept of Gunken and Hoken. While the latter Hoken was considered to have affinity with the Tokugawa shogunate system, the former Gunken, which expressed the philosophy of centralization derived from the ancient Qin dynasty of China, was regarded as a target of modernization of the new government. In fact, the polity of Gunken seems to have completely won by the decision of Haihan Chicken. However, even after Haihan Chicken, Hoken Long was expressed in various dimensions such as the parliamentary plan and the central bank plan. This story is very complicated 
because Gunken was not always regarded as a symbol of welcome modernity and federalism Hoken as a symbol of pre-modernity which should be overcome. For example, Fukuzawa Yukichi re-evaluated the spirit of Hoken and Bunken decentralization in a series of samurai rebellion as the origin of civic virtue. In other words, the Gunken versus Hoken debate included not only the confrontation of liberalism versus conservatism, but also the confrontation of the political space of a state versus a federal state. Kono Yuri, who is a historian of Japanese political thought, has given an attractive review of the historical subtleties of political thought surrounding this concept. However, with high-hand chicken, the pretext of centralized government should have been established. But why did the Hoken, as a concept of a federal order, still maintain a certain vitality? I say that high-hand chicken was a big political gamble for the government. In fact, the revolutionary government in the early age period was still unstable, not only in terms of power, but all domestic legitimacy. Yoshino Sakuzo, a renowned intellectual of Taisho democracy and a native of Tohok, pointed out in his discussion in 1927 that the new government led by Satsuma and Choshu was hated by many people at first and that it had not taken root at all, such as the spirit of loyalty to the emperor. However, in the 1890s, when the freedom of people right movement, Juminke Undo, calmed down and the first Sino-Japanese war broke out, everyone looked at the imperial family and began to have common feeling as Japanese nations. The process of such a rapid but complicated nation building, multiple ideas regarding the design of the political space in the Japanese archipelago have been launched. I, I agree. You're making this very important distinction between local level politics and national level politics, or we could think of the kind of political structures versus political engagement, arguing that local politics proceeded ahead of national politics in the years prior to the opening of the Diet. And uh, here I, I'm thinking of you know Yamagata Aritomo, and particularly reformulation of local administration in the 1880s. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. I've always been struck by the work of Mikuria Takashi, or uh-huh. especially this book, Meiji Koko Otsukuru, where he's talking about how even looking at something like Tokyo urban planning during the 1880s, there's still a lot of national level politics going on. And he talks about this kind of spiral vortex, interleaking local politics, national politics, elite, non-elite, central, local, and, and all levels in between. Do you see a similar interlinking of political forces at different levels coming together in the diet? Uh-huh. Your question is very critical. Yeah, I think that the uh, interleaking of local and capital system, uh, which had been breached by Yamagata Aritomo as the Ministry of Home Affairs by the end of the uh, 1880s, is basically a subnational level story, one step below the national political space, prepared by the birth of the diet. In that sense, Mikuria's book can be regarded as a work that describes the dynamics of interlinking in a horizontal dimension. As I mentioned earlier, the prefectural assembly was established in Japan in 1878, and the political space at local level preceded the political space as the national one, as you mentioned. In the early days of this local politics, the assembly member and the governor confronted each other fiercely at first, but before long, compromises on public work projects through pork barrel took root. In contrast, in politics in Tokyo, the pork barrel did not help ease tensions. Assembly members tried to act as a nationwide model for national politics in anticipation of the upcoming diet session. Yamagata, 
tried to realize desirable order of the Japanese archipelago by uh, nurturing sound, so-called sound local people of the high repute who are not belong to any political party for the former, and by emphasizing bureaucratic logic to contain the bold Europeanization plan of Inoue Kaoru for the latter. In other words, both by very defensive mentality, it can be said that it describes the political history of the 1880s when the governance system was developed as a creativity of spiral vortex was being suppressed by Yamagata. One of the new perspectives I have added to Mikuria's work is a vertical or a multi-layered interlinking between national and local politics. My viewpoint is a first perspective that has emerged from positioning the diet as a cornerstone of nationalization of the political space. I wanted to envision a dynamism in which the feudal element of a social society that was disbanding but still remained were integra- integrated into a national diet in conjunction with a new modern political association such as the prefectural assembly. This multi-layered political space in pre-war Japan should be observed not only at the subnational and national level, but, but also at the supranational or transnational level, such as empires and international institutions, such as League of Nations, and of course, global level, as intellectual historian or Rosenboim's recent work on 1940s intellectual vividly described. I am currently researching the relationship between international finance and construction, deconstruction of Japanese empire. And it is necessary for me to consider first how a national polity had been emerged in 19th century for East Archipelago in order to consider the other polities that exist above and below in later age. That last point you made about how you're bringing the empire into this research and into this conversation, I think, is a really key one. We talked before about Mikuria Takashi's book, and, and that is one thing that he doesn't really consider, is how does the acquisition of empire play into all of this politics? Uh, and so this imperial expansion, for example, what impact does this have? You know, Say the colonization of Hokkaido, Okinawa, the Ogasawara's Karafto, you know, these are new areas that have to be politically consolidated as well, don't they? Uh-huh. Yeah. This is also a very important and big question. In my book, I can't really incorporate the momentum of Japanese imperialization into my argument. But the Hokkaido development was the theme of my junior thesis. And as you say, one of the differences from the existing research on the political history of the Meiji period is the interest in the empire polity. Previously, I basically defined the period after the First Indo-Japanese War of acquiring overseas territories at the stage of imperial construction, which is different from the stage of national state building, which is the subject of my book. But I also think that I have neglected the fact that the imperialism is inherent in the formation of the nation-state itself. When arguing the expansion of modern Japanese empire, it is necessary to consider it by classifying it into two aspects. One is to aim at the maintenance and expansion of special, uh, special rights and interests in accordance with the rule of imperialism, which became apparent after the Russo-Chinese War, like accusation of Korea. And the other is to incorporate peripheral territories accompanying the state building, mainly in the 1870s, 
the colonization of Hokkaido, the annexation of Ryukyu Kingdom, the border settlement over the Ogasawa Island and the Karafuto, and the unfinished plan of dispatching troops to Korea and Taiwan, which were linked with the Karafuto problem, all belong to the latter group. I believe that a violent territorial expansion in the course of revolution, civil war, and nation building is a somewhat universal phenomenon, like that of CCP or Indonesia. But when the age of civil war ended, such spatial expansion of territory was not a uh, destabilizing factor for domestic political integration. When the first phase of imperialization ended and expansion into the continent began in earnest in the 20th century, there were a large number of Japanese immigrants, but they were less likely to be a threat to the political unity of their own country, such as Algerian immigrants played such a role after the Second World War. But Freeport Japan adopted a territorial principle, Dokuchishugi, regarding the political participation of its colonial residents. Not only Korean or Taiwanese or others, but also Japanese were not allowed to have the right to vote in national election. I understand that because of this territorial principle, the framework of national politics based on the post-war current resident of the Japanese archipelago to root, at least intersubjectively, without being challenged seriously, even in the age of imperialization. Of course, as Mitani Taichiro or Sharma Johnson suggested, Manchukuo model, which was re-imported to Japan in 1930s, had a great role in the formation of wartime regime. But even this moment, did not change the system of political participation, as seen in the failure of imperial federalism of Ishihara Kanji. The issue of Okinawa and Hokkaido is a little more complex on this point. As I mentioned earlier, even after the May constitution took effect, the right to vote in national and local politics was restricted for a while. Apart from modern nationalism, the notion of Japan was well established and spread among the residents of Honshu, Shikoku, and Kyushu during Tokugawa era, but clearly it did not include the residents of Okinawa and indigenous people of Hokkaido or Chishima, Karafuto, apparently. Of course, the situation is different between Hokkaido, where Japanese immigrants violently overwhelmed iron culture, and Okinawa, where local culture remains. However, the both of them were integrated into national politics, at least in the level of political process, Objections, such as those raised by the base issue in Okinawa today, might not have been retained in the previous period. In the Meiji period, the possibility of one, one country, two systems, were aimed at the Hokkaido once, but finally, integration to one system was prioritized. However, in fact, Meiji Japan did not have uniform sovereignty over every corner of the territory. Due to the so-called unequal treaties, Port with different systems existed in various places as outland. As Iyo Kibe Kaur's recently translated book into English shows, the main state had an imperfect territorial sovereignty that had, that had to share or be restricted. The fact that by the turning point of the 20th century, national politics had been established as homogeneous means of losing the imagination for the different polities that exist in the country. Japanese choice for rapid modernization and centralization had to bear such an irony that probably continues to this day. So one of the questions that I asked a, a lot of guests on the podcast was this question of 1868. You know, this is you know, the Meiji 150. We've been <laughs> talking about the sesquicentennial, the restoration, and looking back on, you know, what is the meaning of this date? And the question that kept coming up was, 
is this a moment of rupture or a moment of continuity? And this led even to questions, uh, you know, maybe we can talk about a long restoration. <laughs> and so on the podcast, Michael Wirt was saying the, the restoration, well, maybe we should push it back to 1877 at the end of the Satsuma Rebellion. <laughs> or Lionel Babich on another episode was saying, well, no, it's not until 1889 <laughs> with the promulgation of the Constitution and a number of other things that happened on February 11th, that that's really the end of the restoration. I mean, you were talking a lot about the establishment of the Diet in 1890 as being the crowning moment of political consolidation. So would you say the restoration isn't really finished until 1890? Ah, I see. Yeah, I quite agree with the problem of overburying the year 1868 and with the need to regard the major restoration as a more long-time process. In evaluating the continuity and discontinuity of the history around 1868, Although it is quite difficult for us, for modern historians, I believe that it is still important to take into account the accumulation of research on the Tokugawa period in the realm of history of political thought and social history. Let me start with the starting point of the Meiji Restoration. In the Japanese academic community of political history, to which I belong, attention has been focused on the current of open discussion or public opinion, kogi oron or kolon, from around the time of the arrival of Perry to the Meiji Restoration. It is an argument that focuses on the fact that the Tokugawa government at its feudal role, daimyo, had to deal with the opening of the country, which created a place for national discussion that were different from the previous Tokugawa autocracy, and promoted the political participation of the lower-ranking samurai beyond the framework of the class system. There are many excellent studies, but I am a little skeptical about understanding this phenomenon of increased political participation directly in the formation of a modern par parliamentary system in Japan. The Tonga bureaucracy also has a custom of a collegiated system in which all the members discuss, and the par parliamentary system assumed in the political participation of the willing daimyo and the royal government council in the early mid period is based on the idea of the feudal or class system council. In which the influential people of the region gather, which is different from the diet based on the principle of representative system. Rather, in recent years, it has been pointed out that Kogi Oron or Koron has some kind of affinity with the use of violence as seen in Sono Joy terrorism. And I am attracted to that act. Just as Sakamoto Ryoma described his contemporary Bakumatsu period as the resurgence of the situation of Shirwa age, Sengoku Sama, the violence that had been frozen under Tokugawa military power erupted in the crisis of the opening of the country to the world in the 1850s. It also pointed out that there was not only a bright change of eliminating class constraint, but also a dark resentment of lower-ranking samurais who try to talk down people in higher position rudely, and that it casts a refined communication manner in Tokugawa political society into oblivion. And when we look at the aspect of the confusion and chaos of the Meiji Restoration, the view that Satsuma Rebellion was the end point of the Meiji Restoration is quite persuasive, as Michael Weld noted. If we regard the monopolization of violence as a characteristic of a modern state, it is hard to say that the central government in the early Meiji period monopolized political violence over the entire archipelago. Rather, there were ubiquitous military power in local society. In the first place, the military forces of famous domains such as Satsuma and Tosa were huge, 
and the mobilization of new conscription national army through regional garrison, Chindai system, was not easy. And there were even ex-regionalists in Hokkaido, Kaikushi, who were like mostly private soldiers of Kuroda Kiyotaka, Tondenhei. Even if we look beyond the warrior class, as David Howell's excellent work shows, farmers armed themselves in the tumor of the Tokuga shogunate control of political violence. And so, the unit of violence spread across the country. However, after the Satsuma Rebellion, in which not only the conscription army, but also actually an official military such as police or uh, Tondenhei fought on the government side, local areas were no longer a unit of military challenge to the central government. Partly because transportation networks were developed. Still, the major restoration did have its second phase, that is, its settlement phase. In this respect, it is interesting to see how Okubo Toshimichi described the three decade gradual process of the major restoration. According to him, the first decade was a period of Heiba Sojo, civil wars, and disorder. However, it was not until 1878, after the Satsuma Rebellion, that the true meaning of restoration was carried through, that the modern political system and framework of capitalism would be created, Okubo said. Unfortunately, Okubo himself met an unnatural death just after he said these words. But in the second stage of major restoration, which Okubo called as the age of construction after Heiba Sojo, communication too was promoted nationwide through railways, finance, and the media. In particular, I think there are still many points to consider regarding the role of the freedom and people's movement, Undo, in expanding and integrating the political space in the Japanese archipelago. People who attended the Undo traveled long distance to hold national conference, first at Osaka, then moved to Tokyo, which consolidated the Japanese political center into the capital city. Moreover, the upcoming constitution draft were Shigikenpo, were made in various places, and natural, a national party organization were formed just before the establishment of the diet. They also studied history of success and failure of nation building in the age of imperialism, and tried to arouse the political apathy in local society, which had been removed under the prefectural compromise between assemblies and governors to a considerable degree. But for the opposition party like Jiuto or Kaishinto, this national political consensus did not enough to build a national-wide political connection. In this way, long-made restoration have come to an end, and the opening of the Diet provided a chance to resolve the nationwide political issue in the 1890s, which can be seen as the third and last stage of the restoration. Although Okubo himself said that he could not predict what kind of era it would be, in other words, Mezi restoration was a complex process of institutionalizing a revolution beyond the single incident of Ose Fukuo, the restoration of imperial rule in 1868. It can be envisioned as a search for post-class system order in the domestic society and so-called the standard of civilization in the international community. By introducing this viewpoint of wrong major restoration, we will be able to interpret the history of Japanese modernization in the second half of the 19th century from a more dynamic and global perspective of nation building. The Meiji at 150 podcast is hosted by Tristan Gruno at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. 
This podcast would not be possible without the cooperation of the UBC Center for Japanese Research and the technical assistance of the UBC Faculty of Arts, ISIT. Find out more about the Meiji at 150 project, including the Meiji at 150 lecture series, digital teaching resource, and workshop series by visiting our website, meijiat150.arts.ubc.ca. Thank you for listening.